One. Well, I guess we're live. Uh, you know, I would imagine that we're live. Oh, look at that. Oh, Richard, you're reading a. What what are you reading, dude? Like I just got this in the mail. It's pretty cool. It's an acropovic book. They do uh, well, it's like a picture book with some stories. It's pretty freaking cool. I wish magazine guys were like this. Like it's got like World Superbike and you know, like a shaker for Formula One. You know, Delara. <laughs> so it's, it's got like really cool stuff about all kinds of different racing, you know, like pictures and and there's a uh, you know some formula car type stuff, some prototype cars, of course you know you got some MotoGP stuff, some really nice photography you know. Right on. Yeah. So. So that that, that book's like the. Uh... To you after I finish reading this. Oh yeah, well what's up everybody? This is Talking Motorbikes. This is the Ask a Superbike Genius section. Uh, and I'm on with Richard Stamboli from the Fresh and Lean Progressive Yamaha Racing Team presented by Attack Performance. And he just put his Acropovic book down. Um, so I guess the Acro book is like one of those, uh, hey, look how awesome we are books that they send you every year, or is that? Uh, maybe a little bit. I think they call it a lifestyle magazine. Right on. A lifestyle is racing, you know? I mean, everyone should have a racing lifestyle. Well, yeah, I mean, that's... a thing called spoiler alert where they built this, like, they have a carbon shop, so they built a spoiler for a car and they do a lot more than people think. They're not yeah. motorcycle exhaust. They started off as a motorcycle exhaust company, but, uh, Slavka, yeah. from, you know, he runs a racing, uh, I think he runs a whole damn thing almost, but, um, he's, he's pretty much involved in the R and D MotoGP world Superbike, bike and things like that. And yeah, the shop and we talked quite a bit about it. I'd like to go visit them this winter. I think it'd be pretty fun. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. Um, get a little feedback from your computer speaker there, buddy. But, um, yeah. you know, uh, it, it is it is amazing when you hear um, when you hear a company like that doing other stuff. You know, I remember when Yoshimura had all those buildings, I remember going over there and they were doing some carbon fiber stuff for SpaceX, you know. Right. So, I mean, they, they do a lot of stuff, these exhaust companies, because they're, I mean, you know, the regulators are always trying to do things to make it so their exhausts are illegal, you know? So. Yeah, is that better for the speaker? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's because I had my uh, big speakers on. I'm down to my little speakers. I can barely hear you sound like a mouse, but that's okay. Well, that's what you say anyway, even yeah. in person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're scared right? like a mouse. <laughs> wow, dude. Well, only only when I ride your bike. Really. Yeah. But it's not it's not really scared of riding. It's it's scared of if I crash it, what you'll do to me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right. You know what's funny is, and anytime somebody pops on the bike, they go, "Man, this thing is a little easy to ride." Like they expected this thing to rip their arms off. It's like, yeah, no, it's supposed to be easy to ride. So you could ride it hard. Yeah, it's you know, I I was quite a bit heavier and. Um, you know, the biggest thing that I remember from riding your bike the last time was that um, I was just, I felt like a fat slug on the thing and I felt late to everything because the thing ate up ground so much. And I was like, dude, all my brake markers are way off because your brakes work better. Everything worked better. And so as a result, I went slower than I went on a school bike. So now you're just a thin slug. Now I'm just a thin slug. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, you know what, man? I'm all right with it. Whatever. <laughs> Better be a thin slug than a fat slug. <laughs> that, that is a fact. 
Did we just violate all types of, I don't know, rules, modern rules on behavior? I, I don't remember. I don't remember having any rules on this show, actually. No, you don't. But you know, society <laughs> these days—they seem to want to throw rules at you every five seconds. Yeah, they can change the channel. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. So you know what? You just obviously you're a couple of days out from that uh, that round at the Ridge up in Washington. Um, looks like that that track where they uh, carved a racetrack out of the forest, right? Uh, it's a pretty cool place. I mean, you know, it is. Washington's okay. You know, if you don't mind the Olympia, but <laughs> the right. capital. But you know, I, I was was a was a Washington fan. You know, all of Port Louis area and Mount Rainier and all that. You just can't really pay much attention to Seattle and Olympia. Right. Yeah. The, there's a lot of. There's a lot of nonsense there, obviously. And, and, you know, last time I was there was with you, and it was during, like, the summer of rioting and stuff. So. Can you imagine? Coming from California, I was shocked at the gas prices up there. Was it higher? They're more than here. Really? Yeah, everything's over five. Five would be, like, a good deal. Really? Like, low fives. You know, I mean, it was, like, crazy money. Huh. That's interesting. No wonder there's so many people living on the street. There's a lot of that here too, right? It's, it's weird. Yeah, well, it's a little better than San Francisco, but it's not much. Right, right. Well, it's like northern San Francisco, kind of a Seattle, right? Yeah, a lot of NorCal people moved up there, I think. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah so the Ridge, you know, um, wow, right? I mean, um, it's kind of like you guys, your team, kind of is up and down, you know, um, one side of the. One side of the tent is uh, on was on the struggle bus pretty much most of the weekend, and then the other side was like business as usual for the most part. Um, yeah, for the most part, I think. I think. Uh, which side do you want to talk about first? Uh, well, let's. I mean, let's talk about qual practice and qualifying, right? I mean, looks like the start of the weekend it was the Jake Gagne show, right, all the way until Q two, where uh, Heron threw down a flyer. Like, holy shit, where'd that lap come from? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, what, what, what do you want me to say about that? You know, he did a good job. Yeah. So I think he's found some comfort. And the, the, the mentality that I always got from Heron was that he's, he works best when he's the sole rider on the team. Like, even when yeah. he was the Shivey team, the older bike, he had some pretty good runs on that thing, right? Yeah. For, for what the team had to offer. You know, yeah. from the, from the um, I guess, the level the team had, the amount of testing and this and that. You know, so he did, I think he did a, a decent job on that. He did a decent job on our bike in 18 when he was the sole rider there. You know, I think we could have captured second in the championship that year if we didn't break the bike in half at Utah. Right. And uh, so that cost us some points, and that cost, that was just enough to get us to third the championship. So I think the mentality for him is if he's the sole guy and you're giving him all the attention, he functions well. But when he was on our team with, with Jake in, in 21, he thought he was going to step on to Cameron Bovier's bike and just win everything and leave Jake behind because he's beat Jake before on our right. bike. You know, 18 or whatever it was. I mean, 18, Jake might have been World Superbike, but uh, on Superstock bike, he earlier than that, you know, 16, yeah. he beat Jake. So... Uh, Anyway, so uh, I think he functions well in that environment, and so if he's the sole guy and you give him a bunch of attention, then you yeah. know, you'd probably get some good results out of him. Yeah. 
So, I mean, you know, Jake qualified P2, and then Cam, you know, I think he was P4, but he had a couple of crashes. Like, uh, the news guys, you know, uh, the Greg White and Jason were talking about how Cam was sick. So, you want to talk yeah, about Yeah, I mean, I, I came in the truck, you know, and and he was laying down on the couch, and I'm like, hey, man, what's a long night, or what's going on? And he's like, oh, I got food poisoning. You know, he's really sick, and couldn't do a bunch of laps on Friday or well, he tried, but you know, it's, oh man, I'm just not with it. You can tell he had a long face and then, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it was nerves or, or the food or what happened to him, but he was completely shot on Friday. And um, so that changed on Saturday, but on Friday he ended up, uh, I think in Q1, had a crash coming down the hill. Yeah, and uh, that ended ended the Q one a little bit early, but that was a, he was on a really good run. I mean, that thing should have probably been provisional pole. Yeah, you know, so he's got the pace. I don't know if you call it the pace. He's got the speed. Yeah, you know, the the pace is is something you you know people say oh, he's got the pace. Well, you don't have the pace, you have the speed. You can have the speed or pace or both. You got speed right. and pace. So, I think he's got the speed. He needs to show the pace. He needs to be healthy. Yeah, and. Um, that weekend just wasn't the cards weren't there you know like the previous year he finished second and third you know he swapped yeah. spots with petrucci basically raced him the whole time right and uh it just seems like this year we just can't i don't, I don't I hate to tag the whole year with it because every race is new right and uh it just we haven't been able to put together everything perfectly uh with regards to him this year so yeah. far well i mean it just it from like you said from friday on like it, it, he just didn't seem to get going and well you know, friday crash, kind of, yeah. crashing twice in the same corner on in that weekend you know that's well it happens i've done that before you know at big willow sure. i crashed twice the same turn day three. in turn the three. same corner you know so turn five exit of five high okay. side. i was gonna that was the other option turn three or turn five yeah, you know, you had those back then. You had those Michelin tires that were like grip, 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 fly through the air. Yes. You remember the high side I, tires? And, uh, that and, was my first one. I did that. So yeah, yeah was that on a Michelin? It was. Yeah, yep. and even much later on than me, but uh, back then, yeah. I mean, I think Scott Gray was like the. Remember that guy, Scott Gray? No, he was gone by then. When I was uh, when I was running Michelin, Chuck. Chuck Graves was the Michelin guy. Yeah, that was. Uh, I think Scott Gray might have still been buying the tires to give him to Chuck or some something weird like that. I think I was. I was thinking about doing tires back then too. Oh yeah. But, yeah, just a, a thought. And I looked at the. I looked at the margins. I'm like, who the hell would want to be a tire guy? Look at these margins. You can't make any money. Yeah. You make like two dollars a tire. You know, I mean, it was terrible. Yeah, I mean, somehow Dennis Smith did it for a long time. You know, with the. Yeah, the Dennis. Good old Dennis Smith. Yeah. That dude sit there and laugh. He'd sit there and smile at you with a cigar in his mouth, while selling you whatever. Yeah, somebody's used tires. <laughs> yeah, that too. He, I bought a lot of takeoffs from that dude when I first started racing. Yeah, so. yeah. But anyway, Scott Gray would always have this special Michelin tire, and he'd be like, "Oh, this Michelin tire is great." And the next thing <laughs> you're flying through the air. This he's got so much grip. <laughs> yeah. Why am I so much higher than my bike? <laughs> Wow, that's an interesting view, right? My, I, I didn't know my front tire looked like that. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, needless to say, back to back to now. Yeah. Yes, it's possible to crash in the same corner twice. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then the problem is you end up getting a little bit head screwed from right. that. And so, come 
after he had a crash in race one, you know, we thought we had it all, you know, we, so he crashes in, in qualifying, so we make some changes to the bike, and uh, in Q2, when he thinks the bike feels really great, yeah, all over the bumps better, and he goes and does it again in the race, and basically cancels himself out of the race, and so at that, at that point, he's like, what am I doing wrong, you know, and then, of course, he was, there's always something you're doing wrong, right, that's where you crash. Yeah. 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 And so we're able to pinpoint it, but by the time race two got around, he just was so slow in that corner that he'll tell yeah. you he was just crawling through there. Bobby yeah. just yarded up coming off of there, and we were. He was. I mean, Cam was really fast. Uh, Peterson coming off that corner, but you know, by the time he crashed that thing a couple times, and right. You know, yeah, I mean, uh, your photographer Sarah took a couple of good shots of uh, Cam in the pits. And it looked like maybe one of them was Friday and one of them Saturday post race. And it, yeah. it's like when you say the picture's worth a thousand words, the look on CP's face, man, that was like, yeah. that tells the whole story in both the pictures. One of them, he's talking to Darren Marshall. And then the other one, you're standing there with your arms folded, like, you know, but the yeah, I'm, of- I'm trying to, I'm trying to fold my arms to push the big belly I have back down. Oh, is that right? Yeah. All these late <laughs> nights with the crew is not doing well for my physique. <laughs> Yeah, get you a bicycle and come out with me, man. I'll torture you. And, yeah, uh, I've had the time. I'm too yeah. busy trying to fix fuel issues. Yeah. You're spending a lot of time still working with that, huh? Well, I mean, you always have to, right? You got you to gotta push the edge, but where's the edge? Like, these guys, it's such a moving target with this fuel company. You don't know. Yeah, You don't know who the when they're blending it. We're, we're like, taking samples. We're measuring specific gravity. We're... We're running the stuff on the dyno if we can before we leave, but the stuff shows up at the track and it's just like, oh, this is a different batch. The batch number of the drums different than what we ran on the dyno. I wonder what we have today. No shit. And so our option is to make the bike really slow. You know, so that's all we have until we get a handle on what the heck these guys are doing with the fuel. That sucks. Yeah, so we're waiting on some lab stuff to come back and then we'll, we'll try to figure it out from there. Came up with a different package. We're able to get the power back to really close to where we were last year with a different package. It's more, I guess you'd call it softer, softer with relation to the fuel. You know, we're not pushing the fuel as hard. Right. But I know we have a lot more potential above and beyond that if we're allowed to use something different. Yeah. Yeah, the bikes are slower. Man, that sucks. Especially well, when you race yeah, against at the, the end they were At the end, they weren't. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, Cameron Peterson, I think, at the highest trap speeds, but that's really, in race two, but that's really indig- indicative of how hard you're braking. Those new Brembo calipers we got, they're really good. Yeah. Jake was still still working on his braking game a little bit. You know, he had a little bit of the port-of-mouth syndrome. He was braking past the the, uh, the speed trap, so his speed trap was never quite as good as Cameron's. Okay. And it wasn't because his bike was slow. It was just because he was braking a little bit early. Hmm. So he picks up brake pressure a little bit early. Yeah, he grabs a little bit early. I think he's still trying to use those calipers. He's he's a bit of a creature of habit. <laughs> so he got really comfortable with the calipers we had last year. So he's trying he's trying to figure out how much he can pull the lever immediately. And of course, you know, when you ride off of, if you're a second nature type rider, you know, if you change something a little bit, it throws your rhythm off. And so yeah. That's one of the things we got to keep working on with him. So we ha- we have a lot more to talk about, but man, like I. I'm getting like rapid fire comments. So yeah. Let's blow through some of these comments. Yeah. 
Sure. All right. So, yeah, like I'm being told to ask about the BMW chassis. Yeah, dude, I'll get to it, Matthew. Yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah, it's like on the list of shit we're going to talk about. Yeah, um, I know the rule book pretty well when it comes, with regards to that because we're always building swing arms and linkages and things like that. But, yeah. Uh, and then I can, say, I can say one thing before we get deep into that is BMW had to put a lot of modification in their frame just to build the Yamaha frame. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to be able to handle as good as our bike, they had to add a lot to that frame. So that just tells you, you know, yeah. you have a five-time champion riding it. So that right. combination is pretty lethal. But Well, the other guy on the team that's riding the same bike, basically. No, he doesn't like... have the same bike. Oh, he doesn't? Well, no. that's right. That's right. PJ didn't get that frame, did he? No, he, maybe he'll get it next time. I don't know. But he mm -hmm. doesn't have the same bike. Okay. And that kind of puts the guy in a little bit of a mental struggle too, right? When you know you're not on the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the other guy, dude, Corey, Corey Alexander was ripping this bike. And he's got last year's bike. My buddy Carl yeah. was working with him. Yeah. He was our suspension guy back in 2001 and two and three. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Pridmore, Spees, Hayes era. Yeah. And, yeah, he's working with him. They, they, they dusted his ass off and shook him down and brought him down from Canada. And he's doing a good job with him. Yeah. And Corey's riding it good. He needs he needs a guy like Carl to help him along. Yeah, I mean he I, I was like, dude, whatever you whatever you had for breakfast every day this weekend, keep doing that, bro. Like yeah. you know. But um yeah. okay, so there's some more um Alex uh I don't even want to try to pronounce that dude's last name, but he says he's getting he wants to get straight to the nerd stuff. He's like, yeah. uh, how do you go about developing torque maps? Simply aim for 10% wheel, rear wheel slip or fancy stuff like wheel torque transducer on the counter shaft? Uh, no, there's no, there's no wheel torque transducer on the counter shaft. I don't even know if that's even allowed in our, I guess that could be one of our optional sensors if we want to spend the money. But we basically know what the torque of the engine is from dyno, dynoing the engine. So you know exactly where the torque is. So you have torque maps that are built into the ECU from all the dynoing. Okay. So you know, you know exactly what the friction map of the engine is like. And you know what the, what, how much torque it produces. So depending on the throttle RPM, you know pretty much what, what it does. Uh, if you want to get real, real tricky, MotoGP tricky, then then the torque transducer can get you some more information, a little closer, more accurate information based on the conditions, like the temperature of the day and the temperature of the fuel and, right. you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. So you may be not exactly what you have in the back of the torque map, but that's why you have a guy like Marshall going to adjust the torque based on what he sees. Yeah. Or like, uh, you know, or the writer can say... You, with the track map, hey, I need a little bit more wheelie control there. I need a little bit more power there, right? Yeah, I mean, we can we can pretty much tell the rider, hey, man, you're kind of wheeling a little bit much right there. Do you feel that? Oh, no, it's fine. Okay. Or, you know, so it might be, because the thing will project out how much how much wheelie it's making. Like, it uh, looks at the uh, IMU and the suspension position, and it could say, oh, you're getting a 50-millimeter wheelie, you get a 20-millimeter wheelie, you get a 100-millimeter wheelie. Right. So you can pretty much see it. You can see the front wheel slowing down. So it does a bunch of math based on all those different parameters that are on the bike, and it can estimate pretty good. So some of those closed-loop transducers you can do through math, you know, because you have enough inputs already. Right, right. And then, um, let's see, Bearded Jixer, uh says, um, 
he, he's basically asking how Cam P is doing. Like, where is he at mentally? Nah, um, I mean, he's pretty bummed out after the weekend. He expected to do better, obviously. Yeah. You know, I mean, he said it. He said it. Sixth, huh? He said it on the grid before the start of race two that he just needs to start having fun riding his motorcycle again. Like. Yeah. So that's I mean, the mentality right there. Yeah. Like, so he's like a little. I don't know. Maybe crashing two times in that weekend kind of fucks with your skull a little bit. I think it did. Yeah. You know, he really loves Laguna, so we'll see how his mentality is Laguna. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Matt says, why are other teams slash brands not having an issue with the fuel? Or are they? Uh, Ducati had issues last year. Yeah. And I think we're, we've just been unlucky when it comes to grabbing that one drum that just does you in. Yeah. You know, it's always like within a lap or two. So you, and then you change the fuel to go back and you run the whole race. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so you set it aside. And it, it, I think, I don't know this for a fact, but I was told by another fuel blender that VP uh, blends their fuel on multiple sites around the country. It's not at one location. Okay. So based on what type of quality control they have and the blending process may vary from place to place. And though, so you might like, we've never had a problem with the fuel we're getting in California. Hmm. Never. And when, like, for instance, when Coda last year, when we had a problem, we took fuel from Coda and we ran it the whole first day, everything was cool. Then as soon as we popped in the fuel that we got at Coda out of their truck, boom, no good. Yeah. And then it was the same kind of thing at uh, this last race. Uh, as soon as we used a brand new can with a different batch, then we had a problem at Road America. Then we went to the fuel we got at Road America because that fuel was from Barber. So the fuel we got at Road America was a 2022 blend and the Barber stuff was a 2023 blend. It has a batch code right on the right on the drum. It's got X. 22 I mean, or X23. Is, is it almost to the point where you're just going to have to start buying fuel? You're like, okay, that batch works. Can you like order that batch and just keep it in the truck? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, we're, we do have a drum, a barrel of fuel here, 54 gallon, just saving it for Coda. Yeah. Because we got it from the same batch we tested with all winter. Okay. So we just set it aside and go, we're going to keep that for Coda. We'll see how it goes. There you go. They do have a new fuel coming out called MGPR, which doesn't have ethanol in it. And I think it's got MTBE in it. And apparently it does pretty decent on the dyno on a test engine. Hmm. We haven't. And that's the other thing, too, is like we go, well, who's testing the fuel? And who's actually running it? Because there's nobody in World Superbike running this fuel. And there's nobody else in the world that I know of running this fuel in a series. So right. basically we're getting these blended fuels that are done by a chemist doing math. Yeah, if I add this, the octane goes down to this. I add this, the octane goes down to this. And so are they sending each batch off to Switzerland to have it certified? No, they get one certification and then they just keep blending the fuel after the certification passes. So if they want to save a little bit of dough and they use a different, slightly different chemical, trying to think they're going to come up with the same octane number or the same anti-detonation character, then they may miss. Yeah. You know, so uh, back to that question is the, are we prone to it? Well, we push hard. So if you push to the edge of what the fuel can do and the fuel's not there, then guess what? You're going to have failure. Okay. So then another thing is about the tires. We, you, we're going to talk about the tires some more, but uh, Matty Testa, he says it, he, he thinks that Heron got pole on a race tire, not a Q tire. 
And I don't, I don't doubt it. Did the, you guys good? Do you guys go? Did the attack boys go any better on the Q tire, or did you guys qualify on the race tire? Race tire. We yeah. went better on the race tire. Yeah. I think Cameron went a bit better on the Q tire, but that's only because he had more laps because he had fell, fallen down in the race before. Fall, right. I mean, fallen down in the Q before and didn't get a bunch of laps. And then he was sick the first day, so he wasn't doing consistent fast laps. So he was going to improve every session, but Jake went out once slower on the, on the Q tire. Okay. I even asked uh, Hunter, you know, the Dunlop guy, I said, dude, why don't you either bring out real cues like we used to have back then where we could smash the track record, full throttle stuff for one lap, you know? Yeah. And then you'd see some real track records fall down. Unfortunately, it would probably benefit the guys with the higher horsepower because you, re you can really apply it. Don't get much spin. Right. They used to do that back in the day. One lap yeah. flyers, you know, real cues. Nobody really in the world does it anymore. You know, even MotoGP, they don't have those one lap cues anymore. So I think it'd be better just to go back to just qualifying on your softest race tire. Yeah. Because then at least the guy gets more than a lap or yeah. two. You know, that zero doesn't seem to really, depending on the temperature too, this, this year's tires seem to be very temper temperamental with track temperature. Really? Yeah. So for instance, if it's not over 40 something C's, what we found at Barber, Atlanta, and now at Ridge, if we're not up over 40 C, the tire falls apart like the tread falls right off it. Really? Meaning that it gets grainy, like a cold tear. Oh, like shit. in the morning, in the morning, we put a brand new tire on the morning warm up. The thing was done in five laps. Both sides looked like a Q tire. The one lap <laughs> Q tire, like we, we got like maybe eight laps, 12 ladder, but the last three were pretty, pretty crappy. Wow. So something happened in the way they did the carcass because they swear up and down the, the compounds the same, the, the, the layering's the same, like the, Everything's the same except the shape of the tire. But for some reason, that tire either runs colder or it puts pressure on the different parts of the tire where it just shreds. Hmm. And then if you get the if you get the temperature way up there on the tire, then it seems to live. Yeah. You know, so or the track temp up. So that's been our experience with the tire. I think the tires are about the same as last year as far as their performance and maybe a tick worse in some some with some regards. They seem to steer a little better on the front because the shape's a little different. That's probably the only benefit. Other than that, man, I, I don't know. We can't seem to really get the performance out of the tires like we thought we were gonna gonna get. I mean, I was gonna say, you know, I, talking to Bobby Fong yesterday, he was saying that he he didn't have any grip on the tires. That's what he said. He doesn't ride superbike often, so hopefully he'll get some more time on that bike and um, get yeah. Going. But he said a lot of riders are saying that. And you, if I look at the, if I look at the, the lap, the the race distance time from last year versus this year, this year's race distance was like over forty seconds slower than last year. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, I think I think that had a lot to do with the tires. Yeah. Yeah, I think that what we tested, you know, and when you swing arm, new linkage, new suspension stuff for the whole back of the bike, change the length of the bike. We did all that stuff around the old tires because the new tires weren't available. And so then we got we got a set of new tires, like one test before we had to go racing in Atlanta. And it was a very short amount of time that we had good weather. Hmm. And same thing, there, there was no wow moments. There was there was a number of guys out there, the BMW guys, not the not Bobier's team, but uh, not Tyler's guys, but another team. And um, the Westby guys were there, and there was uh, the ADR guys were there, and all all of them said, "Man, what happened to the rubber?" 
you know, the one test. And we thought, well, maybe it's just the track. The track's been getting rained on. It's a little dirty. It's a little cold. So we didn't get a really good experience. And then we go to this next, we go to Atlanta and we're struggling there too. And so we're slowly trying to figure out what this tire really requires. Yeah. And at the end, there's only so much you can do to a chassis to make the tire bite if it doesn't have any good mechanical grip to start with. So I think that we missed the boat a little bit on Sunday trying okay. to find that grip because the uh, it isn't the edge grip so much. It's just the drive grip, the thing driving off. And even later in the race, which our bikes were always really strong at the end of the race. Yeah. So it, it is a little bit concerning. But uh, I have all the confidence that we'll, we'll find a solution for that drive grip that we always had. I think we just missed the boat a little bit. And that didn't give Jake a fighting chance. And then once Cameron got by, you know, we, uh, he said, you know what, I could try to chase him down and put some bold moves on there and possibly crash. Or I could take the second and take the points, extend the points lead like we already did. After Ridge, we still extended the points lead. So yeah. it wasn't that horrible a weekend. We just yeah. didn't win both of them. We won uh, one, not the second one. You know, I mean, he, uh, it looked like he was right there. And, you know, Camp, uh, Camp Obier would just kind of, yard him on that first part of the the first half of the track and then the yeah. second half jake would catch back up yeah. but he wasn't quite close enough to to put a pass on him and um, yeah after yeah. a while it looked like he just started mailing it in after that dude yeah that's, that's basically what the, the, that's basically what happened uh, the first the uh first sector cameron had him by about two tenths and then jake yeah. had cameron about two maybe two and a half tenths in the second sector yeah. And then they were about even, give or take, in the last sector. So it yeah. was a little bit of a seesaw effect. And as long as Jake was ahead, he could hold, he could, Cameron could catch up to him, and then Jake could, you know, extend it a little bit in the middle sector. Yeah. And then Cam had a hard time passing him. But then once Cameron got by, Jake couldn't, catch, you know, catch up to him close enough in the first sector to do anything in the second or third sector. You follow right. what I'm saying? Yep. So the, the cars kind of flipped, and he said, well, you know what, I, I'm just not going to take that big a chance. You know, we'll we'll take the points lead and go on the next one. Sounds like shit champions do. Well, you got to be smart. You know, you can put the thing on the ground and lose every point you made. Right. So we're like, what, 23 up. So we went went into race two, 28 up and lost five in race two. So uh, he could have thrown it down the road and still only been a couple back. But, you know, it's not worth it. Yeah. Rather rather the points lead going to Laguna because... Cameron's going to be really fast. Cameron Bobier, that is really fast. Laguna. I mean, he went really good on our bike there. Yeah. I don't. I don't imagine he's going to be a slouch there at all. So we have to be really, really smart. Are you Are you concerned with the pavement there, like not having any time on the new pavement? I think everyone's concerned. Everyone, the whole, all the superbike guys are asking for a couple extra tires so they can be able to try some stuff in the first session. But it's a triple header too, so you can imagine if we don't get it right. You're going to suck for three races. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even realize it was a triple header. Yeah. There's weird shit at Laguna, right? So it's like triple header for you guys and then the extended race for Supersport, right? Yeah. They're going to fit that all in the schedule. So you know how that's going to go. No practice. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> and all your data is shit now, right? Because new pavement. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the new pavement had a, had a strange effect at Road America because it was so smooth. And apparently the paving company that did Road America is doing this one, I heard. Yeah, so I, I that's cool. I don't know cool. if they the same asphalt, but I bet they will. That'd be cool. Yeah, so we know where our weak spot was. It was corner entry at Road America. We, again, we didn't have 
that whole first day. So we had we're playing catch up. Right. So at Laguna Seca, hopefully we're we have a good first day, and I hate saying hopefully in racing because it never works out. But we will have a very good first day, and then head off into uh, hopefully with a, a bigger points lead. I said hopefully again. With yeah, a bigger so points lead. If everything works out like they're supposed to. Yeah, we'll have a bigger points lead leaving leaving Laguna Seca, and if not, then we'll we'll fight at Brainerd. Okay. Okay. And... I mean, Brainerd goes. Brainerd's a good track for you guys too. You know. Yeah, but you know, I mean, Cam Bobie isn't—he's the man. You know, I mean, yeah, that dude. ride's really good. He—I see—I was watching him ride, and uh, watching him use that Moto Two style on that BMW, and I said, "Man, he's—he's—he's he's, he's improved his riding since he rode our bike." Yeah. So I think I think a couple of years of Moto Two made him a better rider. Well, there was that slow mo video that was going around uh, where he was running and having that chatter on the front. It looked like he fully tucked the front. And in slow motion, you watch his head go like this. And the, and the front end came back. It's like, what? Like, how does that even happen? Like, well, that's, that's probably him going, well, what the heck do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> but it came back and he just kept it came going. came back and like, whoa, it came back. Well, I mean, it did that same thing. That's why he crashed. And uh, if you look at the slow-mo of him crashing in, in race, race one. one. Yeah. And bringing out the red flag, which a lot of people don't understand the rules either, and it's a little confusing. Yeah. You want to talk about the rules and why? Yeah, let's you know? let's talk about the rules. I mean, there's a, you know, it just seems like uh, every race there's, even since Daytona, there's always been some rule thing, and the fans get all confused, and you know the know-it-all, uh, the couch potato crew chiefs are freaking out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, oh yeah. Couch potato fans are freaking out. Yep. Little bench racers are freaking out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in club racing, you know, it's a lot of club racers, too. They're like, once you're down, it's a DNF, you know. And... Yeah. So they have a actively participating rule. Yeah. Meaning that if you fall down, if you don't run to your bike, pick it up and try to go again, you're basically not racing anymore. Right. But, uh, and, they, and they also don't have a rider causes a red flag rule. Right. The rider falls down, takes out a hay bale, the hay bale in the middle of the track causes a red flag. The bike, if the guy's bike spins around and ends up in the middle of the track, the bike causes a red flag. You follow what I'm saying? Like the obstruction cause. It's not that the rider crashes, because everyone's trying to race, right? And crashing happens. Right. And so the rider doesn't necessarily cause a red flag. The red flag happens because there's something, some situation which is unacceptable and yeah. you have to stop the race. So he crashed going into the chicane. He lost the front. Yep. The chatter, chatter crashed, turned the bars, fall down. Right, they went out, hit the yeah. hay bales. They're there, and pushed the hay bale. I think somewhere this way, that way. But uh, then he jumped up and went to pick up his bike and got it going. Yeah. So what? So the stewards get involved. The FIM North America stewards get involved. They look at the video and they go, "Okay, if we go back a lap, you know, um, he gets he gets second place because he was in second place a lap back. Right. But he did fall down in the race, and he did lose X amount of time trying to get recover his bike. Yes. So they 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 gave him a twenty second penalty for, or time reduction. Okay. You know, so that's how they came up with the twenty seconds. It took him about twenty seconds to pick up the bike, and get going again because he didn't know there was a red flag, so he picked up the bike and started riding right. Yeah. And then they threw the red. So once he got the next corner station, he realized it was a red. So they look at the video and they go, okay, yep, that's twenty seconds or. I mean, it's, it is definitive. Like, there's there's no arguing that point. Once the stewards say that's what it is, it's what it is. Right on. So is it fair? I don't know. It's the rules, Probably. you know? I mean, there was a lot of weird shit. I mean, there, in other classes, I mean, 
Um, Rocco got penalized a couple of positions for passing on a waving yellow on the, like at the end of the race. Like the dude was, he was like a country mile ahead of everybody. And, um, you know, he passed a dude going into the chicane who probably got the blue flag prior and looked like he slowed down and moved over, you know, and Rocco was way out front and he got penalized a couple of spots and ended up P3 in the official results. Wow, yeah. You know, it's like, how the, you know, that doesn't, it didn't look, it looked like bullshit to me, but. Yeah, I mean, it was a, if it was a waving yellow, it's a waving yellow. It's oh, yeah, yellow. yeah, totally. I mean, it's like the guy slowed down and moved over. Like, is Rocco supposed to slow down and let the guy yeah. behind him catch up? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. It's a waving yellow. Yeah. And then the other one. That's the rule. Yeah, the other the other one that was weird was um, obviously some of the I think some of the best racing of the weekend was that in that hooligans class with Tyler O'Hara and Jeremy McWilliams. Jeremy McWilliams is old as shit, right? Like, how old is that dude? Um, but I don't know, know he was he was backing in Grand Prix bikes way back in the day. Right, two stroke ones. Right, two stroke five hundreds. Yes. He would always use the softest tire there ever was, and he would back that thing in. Yes. So, you know, I guess uh, both of those guys got DQ'd in race two for, like, something with their handlebars. I don't know. If too, they, yeah, well, they were They were too high or they were too low. Or they had flipped them upside down, you know, like. Yeah, they have. I mean, with that that class, they're all about making the things a bagger, a hooligan or whatever the heck. It's got to look like a certain part. They don't want to they don't want to look like a sport bike. So that's that's what I think is the deal with the rules. Not that I really care. Right. But, you know, so their bars are a little lower, so they gain some advantage. Yeah. It's all about performance advantage. You know, you're sitting there with no fairing, right? Yep. The lower you can make the bars, the, the more you can get your head down, the more arrow you're going to be. So that's a, that's a performance advantage. And just like anything else, you yeah. put a big bore piston in there, you're going to get disqualified. Well, I mean, they ran the same bikes the day before, so I guess they were just lucky that Tech didn't catch it the day before in Park Firma, right? Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, yeah. the way Tech works is once it comes out of their out of their possession they can't prove it was that way during the race mm. if they come to your pit and you go why are your bars low i don't know it's just adjusting them go away right right you, you know what i'm saying like they have to get you right there on the spot as soon as you roll out of there and you say oh you got this illegal part as soon as we're all there you switch it real quick they can't say oh come back here you got this illegal part we saw you know as long as if they didn't see it they, they can't prove you did it so that's probably the reason why they didn't do anything in the previous. And a lot of times it's other riders pointing at it. Hey, look, his bars are lower. Yeah, that could be. I mean, uh, yeah. I, from what I understand, the protest was filed by another team. Oh, Andy, so Andy Debrino basically made it clear that it wasn't him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it's what, that's yeah. what happens. That's the way a lot of these rule things actually get... Uh, get uh, you know, prosecutors, because somebody says, hey, just like if you get robbed, you're going to call the police and say, hey, this dude robbed me, or this, whatever, this woman robbed me. And and then they go, okay, who does he look like? That, that person there. Okay, and they go get him, you know? Right. If they don't complain, the police never come and do anything. Right. So that's the way the rules generally work. You go, man, that guy's been running this illegal blah, blah, blah for the last three races, and I've had enough of that, you know? So yeah. I'm going to tell Teague. Apparently, they've run every... That. They've run every round with those bars, apparently. That's what the comments are saying. <laughs> okay, well, now they can't. Yeah, 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 busted. 
Um, yeah, now they can run a different different deal. I, I mean, the the rules thing's gone 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 that way for a long, long time. Unless somebody says something. Yeah. You know the the people in tech. There's a handful of them, and they have so many classes they're looking at. Super sport, hooligans, baggers, super bike, super stock. You know, so they have so many different bikes they're looking at, and they got to sit there and, and look. And so it's the obvious stuff they catch, unless they're doing a pre-planned inspection, like they, like one of our engines got sealed, and it's it's going to be inspected after Pittsburgh or near Pittsburgh times round six. You know, they let us run it all the way out till it's used because they don't do on the spot. Hey, take your engine apart. They'll seal it up, put seals on it, and then. They'll go and they'll watch us take it apart. They'll crack the seals and they'll take it apart until we get a chance to use the engine the rest of the way. And yeah. um, then they'll, they'll, you know, they're going to do is uh, you ask, what do you want to see? They said everything. Okay. So it's a complete dismantlement. It's not like just counting gears or whatever. They want to see the whole thing. And uh, so retroactively, if your stuff's illegal, you could lose that race where they, where your, that engine was in last time. And it could be six races down the road. So that's one way that tech can can get you, and the other way is people just point at it. Yeah. You know, they go, oh, that guy's been running that illegal sensor the whole time. We have a big sensor list in Superbike. We can we can use all these particular sensors, or they see it, and we can also you know declare two additional sensors. So you you send them an email says we're declaring these sensors, and they go look and they go up oh, there they are. Right. You know. But you could do whatever you want, just like this world. You could do whatever you want until you get caught. Right on, right on. And then you get punished. <laughs> so there, there's like a bunch more comments coming in. Yeah. Um, so let's just kind of get to that. Um, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Irate Barry says something about the tire pressures and how like supposedly the new Dunlops uh, like higher tire pressure than the old ones. Is that true? Yeah, it's possible, you know. I think we're probably a little on the low side for race two. And so I think that's what hurt us on the drive grip. So we're going to be fooling around with that a little bit more. Try to open up our window just a little bit and see if we can get a little bit of performance out of the tire. For sure, it's a you have to be conscious of what's going on with these tires to get the performance out of them. Temperatures, pressure is the whole deal. And then Bob Adams says, uh, he asks if you were expecting the BMW and the Ducati to be as competitive at the Ridge as they were. It's a little concerning that those bikes are fast on tighter tracks as well. Uh, yes, I mean I expected. Uh, I mean Heron finished second on our bike. It was his, it was his best result on our motorcycle. Like we finished one, two, both races there, pretty yeah. easily. And he went around all those guys, even though he wasn't the the A rider. You know, he wasn't the guy winning everything. I think he did really good there. So I I thought for sure he was going to do well. And the Ducati is a good motorcycle. I mean, you know, it's got a lot of power, it's got a lot of grip, it's got good good electronics. And uh, so I didn't think that was going to be a big issue. And and Heron knows how to mix it up with a group, you know, yeah. elbows out, all that stuff. And he tried, you know, he's he rides like a bonehead sometimes, you know, you know, like he even admitted like race one, race one that? was like race one. He kind of did what Camp P did last year in turn. Well, and he came. screwed himself up, and then he then he did something with the shifter, and he looked down the shifter, and then he went backwards and if it wasn't for two guys crashing he wouldn't have got on the podium right one right camp can B crashed and camp P crashed right so if it wasn't for those two crashes he wouldn't have been anywhere in sight in race one so but race two he did a good job they, they, they got going a little bit better even though he had he had the gigantic crash and still got pole 
you know, and uh, so I don't, I didn't, I don't expect those guys just to go, oh, we suck and we're not going to try hard. Yeah. You know, so I mean, BMW whipped out a whole new chassis just, just to get that bike to go around corners. Yeah. You know what? Uh, before we talk about the big chassis thing, like talk about that, that fast corner. You know, uh, Heron in qualifying, like right after setting right. that that ridiculous flyer that he did to set pole. Yeah. Right after that, he stacked really big. Uh, Stefano Mesa stacked in the same spot in uh, Super Sport race. Turn eight, you're talking about, right? Uh, yeah, and then um, I think even Brendan Kettleson wadded a R7 in that corner in similar fashion. So, is there like what's the deal with that corner, man? Like, why? There's, you... a, big, there's a big G out going in there. Yeah. There's a big G out where it bottoms of forks. So if you make the bike work really well in other parts of the track, you could risk bottoming the forks a bit too much and squishing the tire in that part of the track. Yeah. So you have to be conscious of that big bump. You know, bo both of our guys, not not Jake as much, but Cameron for sure was bottoming the forks there. A big oh, solid shit. hit, you know. Wow. Yeah, it just, it just no matter what springs you put in there, it's, if you ride it hard, it's going to go straight to the bottom in that one G out section, and then you have a big run out of there. So you know, everyone's trying to get in there pretty good and square that thing off to get the nice nice run up that, that hill into that tight left, you know, that it's a big, long, sweeping right-hander. And so, yeah, it's, it's really easy to crash there if you get it wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's like downhill, a lot of, a lot of roll speed going in, brake pressure, lean angle, yeah. right? It's, that's, it look, that's what it looked like to me. I just, you know. Yeah, it's like a mini version. The, gen of the genius yeah. has spoken. Yeah, it's a mini version of uh, Portimao Turn One, you know, where you go in yeah. there and then, you, and then also coming down the hill. I mean, mini version, mini mini version. Yeah. You know, yeah. you come down, also the thing bottoms out. You got to release a little bit of brake pressure there. If you're still, still trying to break across that big G out spot, bad things are going to happen. There's another comment. Um, I got to look for it, but basically, the guy. Um, He's talking about uh, Bobby Fonk's comment last night about how many times he used first. Yeah, yeah. Brian Green asked this question. He said last night Bobby said he used first gear like six times a lap uh, on on uh, Aussie Dave's bike, and he was like, "Man, I've used first gear more than I ever have on any bike ever at um, at the Ridge on the R1." Uh, is it like, are you guys using first gear like six times a lap on your bikes? Uh, let me think. One, two. I was thinking three. Three. I think it's four times. Four times. Yeah, I think it's four times. Wow. Yeah. It is a first gear track. Yeah. I mean, first through fifth. First through fifth. Yeah. So you're catching fifth on the straight, obviously, right? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Are you Are you guys uh up the hill there? Are you guys uh, uh revlimmering on fourth? Or are you catching fifth up the hill there? I think it's fourth. You're hitching fourth, yeah. Yeah. I I, fourth, if I recall yeah. correctly, we were on the rev limiter in fourth right before you shut off and back to first, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, like, um, the first is just kind of helps slow the thing down, right? I mean, yeah, is it I mean, to get the not, jump you... off the corner, or is it Because uh, sometimes you guys go down to first to get the jump off the corner, but in, at that track, it seems like you guys are going down to first to help the thing slow down. Well, if you use first, you're going to get more resolution with your throttle for the engine braking. So you can control the engine braking a little bit better. And okay. of course, you have to dumb it down on the exit. 
So you can use second in a number of spots, but things are going to be so low RPM, the engine's not going to slow you down. Yeah. So you won't get that engine braking you're looking for. So you have to use a lot of rear brake. You're going to be inconsistent, you know, and then you're lugging off of there. And then the, the, if your engine isn't a flat torque type engine, you're going to hit that peak torque pretty quick and you're going to wheelie a lot. Yeah. So it's always better to use first when you can just for the A, to make the EB more effective, the engine braking, and then B, you can, you can reduce torque and come off of their pretty flat torque and not wheelie as bad. So we will think, oh, if I use first, it's going to be an animal to ride. Not if you use the torque control, you know, all the stuff that modern sport bikes have by, you know, playing around with the torque maps. Yeah, yeah. And then um, this is an interesting comment. Um, Mike C., uh, referring to the Rocco penalty thing, he says the, yeah. rider, the rider that Rocco passed was actually having a mechanical, and he was stuck in a false neutral, and he was putt-putting. So, like... That dude was kind of, even though he was on the track, he arguably wasn't actively racing. So that's where the, the well, line... Well, he's riding his motorcycle. He's on the track. The guy should yep. have pulled off the racetrack. He's having a problem. There you go. Somebody should retake new racer school. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So we used first. I just look at the gear map here. One, two, three times. Three times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the chicane at the top of the hill and yeah. then entering Lombard Street, right? Yeah, Lombard Street, all the way through there, all the way till the exit. I, they keep calling it, the announcers keep calling it the corkscrew, and I'm like, dude, that's Lombard it, Street. Yeah, it's... it's, it's all it's it needs is some houses street. and planter boxes, and it's Lombard Street. Yes, exactly. So, it will always be Lombard Street. <laughs> um, let's see, what else? Let's see, yeah... Three, okay, so for the for the triple header coming up from Laguna, this is from Vince Urea. Um, with the three races, is that two on Saturday and one on Sunday, or vice versa? Or are they going to do one on Friday? Like, how is that schedule going to work? It's kind of like World Superbike, where you have a. They, you know, anybody wants to see the schedule, they can go to Moto, Moto America and there's a there's a schedule there. Like, there's all the different days. Yeah. And all the different track events, and then if you click on that, there's a schedule there on the bottom and it'll tell you what exactly how the how the whole weekend's going to go but uh it's going to be like uh world superbike where you have a super bowl race they have a super bowl race go a full length race and it's on sunday okay before lunch. cool so and you, then, uh, yeah, you get a full race before lunch and then another full race after lunch yeah if you remember in 20 i think yeah. 2020 was the first time we did that at laguna with yeah. he won all three of them yeah you guys did it at jersey i think too that year right to think, think maybe so. yeah i know we lost one round and then we end up throwing it throwing it into two others i think something like that in 20 right. we did road america twice that was covid time and yeah everything's weird yes Box lunches, right eating right. outside in a okay tent. so uh matthew mccomber says uh is the r1 getting old like is yamaha developing a new gen um and would Richard consider moving to another manufacturer? By the way, I ask every question, so. Yeah, I got you. Um, I think I'm getting old. <laughs> the bike's a lot younger than I am. Wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's there's 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 always benefits and um, drawbacks to having a bike that's been around a long time. The development uh, one is. You get to know that motorcycle really, really well, and you can get 
the la every last little bit of power out of it and the handling and all that. You end up doing things over the years that, you know, like swing arm evolution, frame evolution. Like let's say, we don't our frames are completely OEM, with the exception of the adjustable swing arm pivot. And uh, so we may look at as the tires develop, maybe we can look at bracing the frame like the BMW boys did, and how that benefits us. So if you get a new model every single year, you're always playing catch up on the development. You're always like, oh, I got a brand new bike, I got to build a new swing arm for it, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to get yeah. bike working. So you end up. So the benefit is you're you you know the bike really really well, and yeah. uh, so what's the drawback? I don't know. Our bike can still win races. Right. Um, the fuel thing is kind of put a put a bit of an anchor on our on the uh, amount of horsepower we can make. But once we get that re resolved, that MGPR is supposed to be pretty pretty decent. If we can get onto that next year, then we can probably pull some of our power back, and we'll be back to golden. So uh, yeah. in World Superbike, the Yamaha is basically the top three bike, uh, and the fact that you got Batista, who's who's just on another level that right now is a small guy that knows how to ride a, a fast big motorcycle like a big yeah. guy you know he hangs off it spins he does all that stuff he doesn't he doesn't ride the bike like a small guy he rides a guy bike like a motor gp guy yeah so you can't punish the rest of the ducati guys because the other guys aren't winning you know it's just batista's killing everyone and it's because he's riding the bike well yeah you know but it doesn't mean top rack and locatelli aren't riding the bike well and it seems like the yamaha guys are up there quite a bit yeah. you know you see, you see the the cowie's not doing anything no you know, the Honda's not doing anything. So what are your choices right now in, in World Superbike? And the BMW's not doing anything. And uh, Have you think, heard Have you heard who's going to take the ride seat left by Top Rack? No, I, that's, I could ask. I'd probably get an answer, but I'm too busy doing my thing over here, you know? Yeah, I hear that. To worry about the politicking over there. Right. Yeah, so I could find out for sure. I probably couldn't say anything, so what difference does it make? Right, right. Somebody, somebody's gonna get that ride. Yes, a person will get that ride. That's right. <laughs> it won't be you. <laughs> like I have, a, I have a couple more comments, but we'll get to those in a minute. But let's let's uh, let's go back to the rules thing and talk about that frame. Yeah. Situation. Let's let's talk yeah. about that. Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw some pictures of it. Okay. Looks I mean, like they added a lot of aluminum to it. I mean, at the end of the day, like I joke, but it sure looks a lot like our frame when it's all said and done with just a lot more welds on it. Yeah. You know, if you take a picture, a side picture of our a side profile of ours and theirs, it like looks pretty freaking similar as far as the shape. Because the, the BMW has this really spindly frame stock, really spindly. So I guess they're trying to get feel out of the thing. I mean, they've always struggled with that bike with feel. Yeah. And, you know, back in the day, they had a pretty rigid frame. They had rigid clamps and rigid forks. The forks were gigantic, you know, with the first came out with that bike. It seemed like there was a lot of Suzuki stuff on that bike. It was really weird, hmm. you know? And uh, so uh, as far as the stem dimensions and the stem nuts and all that stuff, we built clamps, right? So we get a chance to look at look at these bikes a lot. And then they started going the other direction with these really small frames. And uh, so it looks like what they've done is they've not only reinforced the whole frame across the, the from the middle section all the way to the steering head by adding aluminum to the top, getting rid of that little dip in the middle, sort of straight lining the thing, giving it a little more rigidity. But they've also made the spars that go down reinforced and they've moved the engine mounting on the spar to a different location. Mm -hmm. So if you read the rule book, 
you know, uh, bracing is legal. You can brace as much as you want. You could put three inches of aluminum or steel on the frame. Well, it doesn't, it, it's legal. Okay. It doesn't matter. So the, that's where I go with the testing. You know, if, we had, if you had a bike for a while, you could try different things. But obviously, they're connected to the World Superbike guys, and so, or they're connected to Alpha or whoever, and they're getting that frame. I think that frame was the frame, same frame they had as a super concession last year. Okay. But I think they're calling a normal frame now. I don't know how that works. So there's a little bit of research to do on that. A normal modified M frame. Okay. So like so that, I mean, part, that part, I mean, I think all the welding is legal. Yeah. Um, the the only thing that would be illegal on on that type of thing is if they move the swing arm pivot out of a certain range. Uh, I think it's plus or minus five millimeters from stock in all different directions. And if they move the steering head out of range, plus or minus, I think six millimeters front to back and the, the angle is open. So whatever you can do in that amount of space, I think that's that's legal. And the engine has to stay in the same location. I think that means it's legal. I mean, does that make you uh, does it make you want to call Paul Denning and be like, hey, dude, send me one of top racks for like. Uh, well, I mean, I know the settings are running on that bike, and I know why they did what they did. I don't know if our, our Dunlop tires can handle what, you know, <laughs> that frame. Okay. So we haven't had much issue with what we have, but, you know, we might look to do it. I mean, they, they do some, some reinforcement on the on the longitudinal area, you know, and they still try to give it feel. We're, we're still, we don't have a problem with that area right now, but maybe if, if Jake or Cameron pushed... A little bit harder, I and mean, the Cameron's putting some pretty good amount of braking force on the bike, and it's not having any issues. Right. So, uh, but it might be something we look at. I mean, our tracks a little bumpier than theirs. Right. So if you go crazy rigid and you reinforce the crap out of everything, you might be crashing on the front more. So you have to be very careful about how you go about doing all the frame stuff. And it takes a little bit of testing, it takes a little bit of thinking. And then you have to have a problem to be able to say, how do I fix this problem? I, I, I hear that the BMW's problem was that the uh, frame didn't flex symmetrically the way it, the way the engine was mounted. So they dropped the spar down on, and they mounted the cylinder, and that that made the frame more symmetrical. So the front would flex, or or when they when they were on the brakes, it, it wouldn't move to one side, you know. Mm. And we're not talking about a lot, but we're talking about, a, you know, even if it's a millimeter or two, that upsets the rider. That's interesting, man. Like, that's... I mean, it's all about some type of dynamic thing going on. It isn't just like, oh, look at this frame. You know, it's it's solid. <laughs> it doesn't mean you just start welding crap to everybody, everybody's frame. And you gotta you have to have a problem, and you have to analyze the problem, and then you have to fix the problem. Right. If you don't have a problem, what are you going to do with the frame? Well, I mean, I remember the problem. The, like the 2009 era, you know, the original cross plane. Yeah, ones. yeah, they braced you know, the crap out of it. Yeah, they braced the shit out of that thing, right? So. Yeah, know. but back then our tires were a little different too. Like I think that was 2009. Was that DMG days? I think it was. Yeah. But before DMG days, we had the U, the UK Dunlops, right? Right. And they were quite a bit better than what happened with after DMG days. You know, they went to Buffalo, and it took took Buffalo a long time to figure out the tires. But now we're on rubber, at least last year we were on rubber where we can break all kinds of track records. So from, from uh, I think, 18 until 22, the tires didn't change at all. It was the same rubber. They wow. introduced that tire in 18, mid-season, I think it was. They came yeah. out with a, a new, t new size. 
and we've used that tire up until 22 and every year we go faster and faster and faster and faster so it means the bike's getting better we're getting a little more accustomed to what the tires are doing and this year it seems to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a moving not a moving target but a little bit more of a mystery than we would like with these tires they don't i mean is it there. is it like they a chassis is it a chassis setup thing to work with the tires because you guys didn't really get to test with them like you did previously or yeah i mean we had four or five years with information on those other tires right right so yes i mean we could we could we could figure out that hey man we're we're like you know half a bar low on front and back but we haven't we we ran through all the pressures already so we kind of have an idea of where the pressures need to be okay and uh i think it's a matter of just getting the chassis to agree with the way the tire wants to drive off the corner okay yeah, so, so you I, know think, what, I think it's, a, it's subtle stuff. So I asked you, um, I asked you yesterday, actually a couple of days ago, like, what's going on with, like, what was, what was Cam doing wrong in that corner that? Um, yeah, so I, mean, I can, I can show you on the line if you guys can see that. I can show you on the data. Yeah. And this was typical of what he was doing. This is race one. Okay. And he was in a good position to race one, you know, and they right. just tipped over, so it was unfortunate. But um, I could I could show you that real quick. Okay. Share the screen. Let me zoom up on this guy. I love it that Richard's like always willing to share data. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about it all day long, but pictures are worth a, a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the announcer guys were talking about how Jake was doing something different in that area than just yeah, anybody I can... else too. Well, see, that was the unfortunate part with Cam Bobier following him so much. He, I think he, he was, stu I mean, he's a smart guy, so he's studying him a little bit and sizing him up, you know, yeah. and uh, I think he started changing some of his approach. But anyway, so here's the track. Yeah. And uh, red would be, uh, let me have a look here. Red would be uh, Peterson. Okay. And blue would be Gandhi. So this isn't the track itself. This is, uh, this is their line. It's their lines. Okay. You know, so you can see here, Jake was able to hug that quite a bit tighter. Right. So we can start here. This is where Jake was really fast from here to here. Jake was really fast in this sector. Cambobia was really fast all around this sector. Right. And getting up this hill. So yeah. we were giving up some drive grip in these areas, and then we're giving up a little bit on the braking in here. So these, so that's why we had the little seesaw effect, but Jake was really fast going, getting through this G out climbing right. this hill and then being able to turn here and still get a good run out of it. You can see how tight he can turn here and still hold the tight line coming out of this guy. And Jake uh, was typically, I can't remember how many meters, but he made the track X amount of meters shorter than Cameron did. Oh, wow. Okay. So he shortened the track up and still was able to hold the speed. So back to the crash thing. So we'll zoom up on that area where we're crashing. Right. And can you see this pretty good or no? Yeah, I can see it pretty good, man. Yeah. So Cameron's the, the red. Dark, the dark line is uh, the Jake. Darker, yeah, Jake. Okay. So oh, Jake, would, Jake yeah. would have a later turn in. You know, this isn't this is deceiving. The the gap wasn't like, you know, this is maybe a, a few meters apart, right? Right. So Cameron Cameron is really strong on the brakes, and and that's his that's his mo is to get in the corner really strong, and Jake's mo is get in the corner a little bit a little bit slower but come off stronger so jake planned his trip down the hill uh by getting in a little later jumping the curve here you know, there's a little curve there 
Yeah, that's nuts. Inside curving, he would jump that, and then he would do most of his turning and stay straight, you know, coming down the hill. So he'd stay to the left, and then he would cross over where all the bumps were. All the bumps were in this area. Yeah. He would cross over and have a different vector going over the over the bumps compared to Cameron, Cameron Peterson, that is, because Cameron was still trying to turn the bike over the bumps, and that's what was kept catching him out. So if you zoom up on this area here, Oh, right man. where Jake yeah. and Cameron would crisscross. See that? Yeah. Yep. Blue versus red right here. Yeah. I know you're colorblind, but you know, try to pretend. No, I can see two different lines there, bro. Yeah. So the line that's so right where this crisscross is is exactly where you would crash. Okay. So he'd come in and he'd be asking a lot of the front tire, trying to continue this turn where Jake has already done his turn back here. You can see it. Yeah. And straighten that thing out. So. So by the time race two got around, he was he was a little bit uh, he just wanted to finish. Yeah. So he was going through the section pretty slow, you know. So he's giving up space, and then at the end of race two, from the two crashes he had, his right elbow was pretty pretty swollen, and he was using his left arm so much at the end of the race, his left arm went numb. So that's wow. why he went from from racing for third to sixth. So when you had that talk with him, when because you said he said something like, "What am I doing wrong?" Do <laughs> like, you want to see this anymore, or are you done with yeah, this? Yeah, I think we're good with that. Like, how how did he react to that? Like, obviously he's doing something wrong, but like, how did he react to seeing the difference in the data? Well, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword showing someone overlays to their teammate because right. they're trying to they're trying to win on their own, and then you're constantly telling them you got to ride like that guy. You know, so it could be a um, you know, mentally a, a downer for someone to hear how they're doing something wrong all the time. So right. the way you approach it is you tell them what they're doing right and you tell them what they're doing wrong. So you try to, you say you just need to keep doing what you're doing, but you need to do this in addition to that. Right. And then, like, you know, as a so writer, Cameron, you got to like Cameron, your brain out of that while you've already just smashed two motorcycles. <laughs> yeah, there were pretty small crashes, you know, but uh, nonetheless, you know, it, it uh, takes the wind out of their sails when it happens. Yeah. Because you know, now you're thinking, man, I just want to finish the race. And then he didn't end up finishing the first one. So then he's like, I really want to finish the race. And they had a bad result in the second one. Right. Yeah. And, you know, be bruised up from the two crashes, too, you know. Okay. So here's here's a couple of more comments that are coming in. But... Yep. Um, uh, R-I-S says, or no, R-1-S says, R1S. Uh, he says, uh, do, you, do you think that BMW's lack of success in World Superbike is related to the Pirellis? Because they seem to do, be do better in this, in other series. The BMW? Yeah. What, German series where there's nothing but BMWs? There you go. You know? Right. Yeah, so they didn't do all that great in our series until Cambodia hopped on it. Right, right. So I don't know if Cambodia wasn't riding the bike, how would they be doing? And then Tim, I think it's PJ, but it'd be pretty inconsistent the way PJ was last year. Right. They'd be a little bit struggling more, so I think they made a pretty deep investment in getting Cameron over here. Oh yeah. And absolutely. You know, and and Cameron's really trying, and we we still extended our championship lead after Ridge. Yeah. So it wasn't like we went away with oh boo hoo, we lost yeah. the, we lost the championship lead. No, we extended it. Yeah. We just wish we'd have won both races, but right. some places and bad. You'd rather have it extended more by like yeah. an extra five points. Yeah. I mean, take five from him and give it to us, you know, so we'd have that little bit bigger buffer, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you're going into Laguna with a points lead, which is pretty solid. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you know, I think Bobier and that bike. I think I think I saw the way he was riding. Yeah. And uh, he had, he put a lot of that, like I said, like he put a lot of that Moto Two style into into the the super super bike. Yeah. And it was funny because we kept telling him to ride that way when he was riding our bike in twenty. Yeah. It's like, hey man, you could do a little bit more of this and more of that. <laughs> and then we're joking about it when he went to Moto Two. Hey, you got to start hanging off the motorcycle now, putting your elbow down. And they started right. doing it over there, and now he's bringing it here. Yeah. So it's interesting the evolution, and and uh, he's he's the guy that has basically most of the whole package. He can charge the inside of a corner and and drag the brake. And uh, you know, Carl, who's working with. Uh, with uh what's his name Corey uh, alexander Corey alexander yeah he said man i've seen that data and the dude is he's the real deal you know that kind of thing yeah yeah i mean we used to talk about it in 20 right which shows yeah, some of his yeah. data where he has zero time between the closed throttle and, and and like off the brake and on the gas so he makes up little bits and pieces here and there and he was riding it really really good and and you know we tested at ridge for a couple of days before we went and raced there with, with him so he has time there he knows that track and he knows Laguna obviously really really well. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see how we how we pair up at Laguna, how that BMW does, because it didn't do all that well at Barber. Right. You know, for whatever reason, it didn't do very well at all at Barber, and um, he, they did good at uh, Road America for obvious reasons. We we screwed up the whole first day. Right. We didn't get a chance to ride, so we never really got our setup going. And um, they had a fast bike and and had more time. And they actually tested there too, so they had a couple couple days of testing uh, as well on the new surface that we didn't have. So it'll be interesting. I think they tested at Brainerd as well already, also. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what he what he does at Laguna because he knows it a lot, and what the pavement's like. And then you know Brainerd's another track where he knows and he knows PIRC. He's ridden there a bunch. So there's no there's no weak tracks for Cameron Bobier going forward. You know, so nowhere. so I. Uh... I have some comments from people coming in that were before the show started. Yeah. Um, Pinky, the guy that comments all the time, um, yeah. he's got a few questions, but we already answered most of them. But he, he asked, like, looking back at previous seasons from 2006, say 2006 to present, what year do you think this year reminds you of as far as competition goes? Hmm. That's a good question, right? No, I think I think probably uh, when was uh, Tony Elias really having a good race yeah, with Cameron Bobier? I was thinking seventeen, yeah, or eighteen, yeah. even, right? Seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Yep. yep. You know when when you had Gerloff coming up yep. and and Cameron and Tony were having a good scrap and, and Heron and in there, um, you know Heron wasn't really in it when he was the Osh. I mean, well, he in eighteen, eighteen, we had some good racing with our bike. So 18 was decent. Right. Uh, 19 was good. 17 was good. I think all those. So yeah. I think that um, 2021, 22 was pretty boring because we won everything pretty much, you know, unless we had a bad day. Right. Right. So fortunately for the fans, the racing's getting better. Unfortunately, oh. we've got to work at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like I, I was saying to you, uh, you know, you won three in a row, number one place with two different riders. And like, how do you stay motivated? Well, now it's like got to be pretty easy to stay motivated when you got to chase and, and beat Cam Bobier. Right? Yeah, that means what it is. I mean, he's a good rider, and so is Jake. Yeah. And Jake, Jake beat him in race one. Cam crashed trying to catch him. Right. End of story, right there. Yep. 
you know, it, it just that Cam won the second one and we lost by a couple seconds and Jake decided to mail it in, as you say. Yeah, mail it in. It home, which, which is smart, you know, just get get the points and go off. That's that's smart. Let's go to Laguna and let's, uh, you know, let's rumble there. That's, that's, that's going to be interesting there. So here's another technical question from Bob Adams. I don't yeah. know who I don't know who Bob Adams is, but he's asking really nerdy stuff, and so it's like right up your alley. I have some nerdy answers. Yes, absolutely. We know um, that's why you're a super bike genius. But he says with the current with the current abilities uh, for with traction control, uh, do you take some of the drivability out of the engine for more peak power, and then let the TC handle the drivability? Hmm. The engines that make a really smooth curve. Yeah. Like they're super linear. The torque's really flat. So you could. That's one way of doing it. You can torque. You can have yourself a pretty wild motor, wild engine. And but the problem is you'll you'll end up with some tracks like Road America where you hardly used any strategies because the grip was so high. Really. So if you have okay. if you have an engine like he's talking about, you're not going to be able to get around there very good. So if the pavement is similar to what road america was at laguna like you know you might have a similar situation where you don't need as many strategies or because of the up and down nature of that place yeah no the strategy is going to play play a role no matter what in laguna because you got you have a you have a gearbox it's like first through six there and you're going up to overturn i mean think about it you go overturn turn one full boogie yeah. You're gonna have your really control, and things would be spinning normally because it gets so light, sliding, and yeah. spinning. Over, they can get a lot of, lot of um, slip differential going over that thing. So you're gonna have some cut in six gear, and then you got to get in there. Your engine braking is really important going into two, all the way back to second. You know, coming off of there, it's gonna want to wheelie and spin. I don't care how much grip you have, it's gonna want to wheelie coming off there. The more grip you have, the more it's gonna want to wheelie. So you need right. wheelie control. You got to work on your torque. So you can either use wheelie control or torque mapping or a combination of both to do that. And then, I mean, you just work your way all around, you know, go, going down to the corkscrew. There's some strange stuff going on there. But yeah, for coming down the hill now, if you have a lot of grip, like the rainy corner at turn nine, you could definitely get a good head of steam going into turn 10 and then back to 11 for all that wheelie control and traction control and all that stuff. Right. So I, don't, I, I think it'll, it'll make it a little bit they'll make it faster if the grip is like road america but if the tire wear is like it was with road america then it's going to be probably hard to get the corner entry the way you would like to get the lap time down well you were talking about the temperature being a deal and like you know how laguna is right like you could have a nice hot warm day you know it's july right but then yeah. also you could have a shit weather day where it's you know pea soup fog uh yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge for the teams and the tires. Yeah, no doubt about it. And whoever has a solution first is going to is going to be the victor. So you're going to crack the whip on Darren and be like, "Hey, I'm going to get in there and get her done." I don't need to, I don't need to crack the whip on those guys, man. They know what to no, do. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. I crack the whip on myself. That too, man. That too. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's a couple more questions coming in before we wrap this thing. But uh, this here we go. Uh, Badass 1G, his question is, why is there not a horsepower limit? The BMW and the Ducati must have 30-plus horsepower on the R1. Uh, if you're talking about stock, 
you know, it isn't that big for us, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they had an advantage at Road America because we, we couldn't uncork our bikes. And then we've been pretty, ti- we've been pretty timid since then. Yeah. And um, so you remember at, at Road Atlanta, we, we added a little bit of power for race two and it wasn't so bad, you know, right. he was right in the draft of those guys. And then once they made a little mistake, he was able to win. Right. Right. So I think and that was some really good racing, right? They were all nose to tail for the whole race. Um, uh, there's a couple of back and forth with, um, with some of the limit is, horsepower limits never work. Yeah. Tim powers. Uh, I think it's Tim powers. He says it's super bike racing. It's badass. It's not spec class racing. Yeah, yeah. I'm with that guy. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> Plus, there's, there's all kinds of ways to cheat on the horsepower thing. And it's just it becomes a cheater game. You know, who's cheating the best? It just it just why 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 make it to where everyone is motivated to cheat? Why don't you just leave it open and let people just be creative? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, there's always somebody that's going to cry about something, right? Well, it's racing, man. Somebody loses. Right. Somebody wins. Right. No trophies for everyone. Well, yeah, like this is the last sport that has that. They're kind of they're kind of making it that way with all these concession stuff and you know like the Suzuki's got some special thing for their engine because they want them to get up there, which is I don't know if it's going to make any difference. I mean, Escalante was riding really good. I mean, that right. that track is not a horsepower track. You right. know, Escalante was riding really good. He was in the mix, right? So they, yeah. they're going the right direction with the chassis and electronics and all that. Right. But do they really need this little breather thing for their, for their, you know, for their engine? I don't know. They start handing out little specialty deals. It, it's kind of bums me out because it's like they're trying to equalize the, the field by just giving these little tiny things that are against the rules. Like it's been against the rules forever, but let me just go ahead and give it to that guy because I think it's going to help him get up front. Wow, man! You know, there's no magic bullet to getting up front; just hard work. And uh, Bearded Jixer says, "Has there been any events going on at Laguna? I, uh, and did they take the dip out of turn six? I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so, dude. No, I think there's going to be a um, the car thing, right? Uh, some kind of car race, like uh, SCCA type thing. Yeah. Than before. So wherever you spin out and go in the dirt, that'll have lots of rubber on it. <laughs> right. Where a car, a car would spin out and go in the dirt. So anything like the going left when you're supposed to go right, there'll probably be a lot of rubber there. Right. Um, and then that badass 1G guy says, anyone else notice that the BMW and the Ducati front end seems more planted? Um, he says he's guessing that it's the winglets holding it down better. Yeah, our bike was wheeling in a little excessively, I think, coming up the hill. That was one of the things that we need to work on. Yeah, Jake I don't was, th- I don't think was the skipping speed. up the hill, kind of little, wheel, like yeah, many, many wheelies think, up the hill. Yeah, I don't think it's the speed. I think it's... It's other things. I don't think it's. I don't think it's the winglets at that speed, are doing what what he thinks they're doing. Right. It might be a little bit of a help, but we're not going MotoGP speeds. Right. Especially not around that track. Yeah. First gear corners. I don't know. A lot of first. You said three times a lap. That's. Yeah. There's not, so there's not a whole lot of corners on that track either. So. Yeah, I don't think the arrow is doing much of that. Yeah. You know that speed. Stick your hand out the window when you're going down the road. You know. Uh, Pinky says, should there be concessions to new teams? More concessions? To new teams. 
new teams? Yeah, should there be concessions to brand new teams? I don't know. I mean, should you punish the teams that have been around devoting their money and time and effort into racing? You're going to punish them? Concession is punishment for someone else, right? Right. In a different kind of way. Yeah, I mean, I, this guy head start. I, I know you saw that uh, motor, like the, the series is asking for uh, concessions for both Honda and Yamaha at MotoGP. What is this, World Superbike? MotoGP. Oh, MotoGP? Yeah. Well, MotoGP used to do that. They used to have the uh, teams that were not, they used to have uh, extra engine development or extra engine packages. Like, they would open that stuff up. That was a few years ago. Right. And that was, Aprilia got that. I can't remember what they called that. They called it something. There was, there was like a, a certain level. Like you'd be on like level two. I'm just calling, giving it a number because that's what it was. So the level two teams would be able to use more engines through the season and push a little harder, you know, blow their stuff up a little, little bit uh, less because they can use more engines and stuff like that. So right. um, it, it helped them get even. But I think they got rid of all that because everybody started, everybody had a competitive bike. Right. So, do I believe that they should do that for Honda and Yamaha? No. I think they should go back and work hard. Yeah, start start doing the thing, you know. You know, I mean, I hate to say that because I'm affiliated with Yamaha, but you know, if they're if they're not doing what what the European bikes are doing, then they should go in and test more and develop and maybe get some of those Moto Two kids to ride your bike or whatever. Like Yamaha doesn't have it. Uh, satellite team and i think that hurt them they don't have a development team to put on that motorcycle right you know they don't have anybody to move up through the ranks like so it's, where, it's, where ducati's got everyone i mean dude it, they got it, it's also kind of been said i don't know how true this is but it's been said that um you know the italian factories the the chain from rider to the engineer guys is pretty direct and it's a very short turnaround time on changes requested whereas kind of at in the Japanese manufacturers this kind of goes to committee and it, I believe it you know and then it takes, I believe it. It, it could take six months to get the change that the Ducati or Aprilia guys can get in one from one round to the next well it was, it was kind of like that way here with the Yamaha factory team and 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 it's why they didn't get a lot of changes through the years and those guys will tell you too is here you know when they when they contracted us well, oh we want to make a new swing arm so you buy the billets, you design the part, you you uh, you stick it in the CNC machine, and then you weld it all up. And you know, a few weeks down the road, you're testing new swing arm. You're not sitting on your hands with a committee and designs and this and that. You go straight from, you know, you take the ISO ISO completely out of the whole process. You know, you do the whole thing in house. You don't have to worry about all those steps it takes. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. you could you could bypass a bunch of steps that way and and have have your development done. Hey, I want to make this part. Let's go try it. I want to lower the gas tank. Let's go try it next week. Right. You know, let's go ahead and take the saw, cut your gas tank up, weld some more, more stuff on it, you know, put it together and go try it. So in that way, yeah, I think the Ducati team is probably more like that than they are the, uh, you know, the more rigid engineering way that maybe the Japanese, I don't know. I don't have that information, but it sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, there's more comments coming in. Uh, well, guys, like this, we're gonna have to wrap this up because we're burning up all of Richard's time. But I'll ask the last couple of I questions. Know, I kind of devoted devoted the evening because I'm out of here oh, yeah? after this. So okay. Yeah. Then after this, we're pretty hardcore getting ready for Laguna. But all right. So um, 
Sure. I don't mind answering questions. I like answering questions. Oh, okay, so I'll go to Pinky then. Richard, since your team has been the best on the grids for some time now, what's wrong with uh, with some others getting a little help? Uh, can you be specific about who the others are and what help they're talking about? Oh, he's talking about the uh, the new teams getting concessions. Right. I probably wouldn't help them anyway. I mean, what's wrong with the rules we have? Right. You know, what is the concession? Does yeah. does like, and somebody shows up with a with a Suzuki, gets a big board kit, or he gets more tires, or he gets special tires. I mean, the, I think the only thing that could probably make a difference is if you got special tires. Okay. And yeah, I, mean, I think everything else is like, going to require. Okay, them. new team gets to run Pirellis. Everyone else has to run Dunlops. <laughs> yeah, something like that. That'd be but, a concession. Yeah, I think I think Super uh, concession. You know, what what makes the biggest difference on the track? I mean, the rubber makes a huge difference, and uh, knowledge of you know the the riders' knowledge and how he approaches. I mean, I don't know if you can make a concession for if a, if a rider's new and he's still trying to figure the track. I don't know if you give him anything. You know, the, uh, you give him our bike and he's still going to be out there trying to figure it out. Like Bobby, he's basically was riding. Uh, I mean, ADR kind of rebuilt it, but that was that bike is what Jake won the championship with yeah. last year. So it takes time to learn all this stuff. So I think the only thing the new team's going to have to do is devote time and testing. Yeah. So concession, or concession could be test time. If you ban testing altogether, like World Superbike does, you only have a couple of official tests. But if you're new, you can go out. They allow you to go test some more. That'll get you up to speed on the tracks you're going to ride on. Right. Maybe maybe concession would be let those guys ride on Thursday, like Motor America. I mean, like AMA used to. They used to have privateers go ride on Thursday, and I was trying to help them right. get up to speed. And the factory yeah, guys the, didn't ride on Thursday. Yeah, the, thir yeah, the Thursday promoter practice, right? Promoter practice. You get to sign up and ride on track. That could be a concession. I don't know if horsepower or all this other stuff is going to make any difference. Yeah. So you, know. uh, you, you mentioned uh, Fonger on last year's bike. Um, let's yeah. talk about the... Because you kind of support that team too, right? A little bit. Yeah, we help them out with electronics, but and and whatever our chat, they get basically our our start map that we're going to start with the chassis yeah. and the electronic side, and then they they can tune from there. We're always open open door. Whenever they have a question, they can come over. Robbie Peterson, uh, um, Cameron's dad, Robbie Peterson, you know, kind of famous racer for his time. Yeah, legend. And nice guy, and he's Super working nice with that team as well. Okay. And, uh, you know, it takes time to get your head around these super bikes and, and getting the most out of it. Yeah. And Jake, Jake didn't exactly light the world on fire the first year, even though he did finish well. Um, it took him, it took him the fully first year to, to get that, to start riding that motorcycle at, at the level it was, you know, intended to be ridden at. Right. So I think, I think it's a, it's a big change for that ADR team. And they're, they're kind of taking their lumps right now. Yeah. Uh, trying to figure it out. But we're we're always there to help them as much as we can. So what what was the deal with with Dave? Like he just gave up his bike to Bobby and rode a different bike? Like, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what the what the dynamic is there. I mean, that's a question for Dave. Okay. I know that he likes to race. And, I got a scumbag and, him into being on the show. Yeah, I think I think you know, um, he's he's like uh, owner operator, right? Right. So I remember when I was racing, I was building bikes and I was doing all that stuff. It was very, very difficult to yeah. do everything, stay up real late. Your training goes by the way of the dodo. You know, you're not very fit when you get the racetrack. You're always tired. 
and you're mentally exhausted and it becomes no fun. So I think that's where he was at. And and he probably has a sponsor that wants to see some results or something too. Okay. You know, so uh, you can't be all tired and beat up and, and driving the semi and doing all those things and racing the motorcycle as well. It just doesn't work out. And so I think that maybe that's where he was at. That's just a guess on my part. And he said, well, maybe if we put a fast guy on it, he's going to do well. Uh, I thought Bobby would do be better than he did. You know, but they were on, a little bit of on the struggle bus trying to make him comfortable. You know, there's like ergonomics issues with the bike. You know, the seat height and fuel tank design and things like that. So talking to their guy that designed all that stuff and try to point him yeah. in the right direction with, he sat on our bike and thought it was more comfortable than what they had. Um, it's nothing they can't fix for the next race, but you know, maybe it'll help Dave as well. Maybe Dave will get back on the bike. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what. Well, what Dave, was. Dave was on a 750 and he was actually ripping. I think he was top five and, until he threw it away. And, uh, was he on a 750 or was he on a R6? I think he was on a. I think he was on a 750, man. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Because I know he has an R6 as well, so I don't know if he rode yeah. that. I have no idea. But yeah, it was in the top five. I'm sure he was on a 750. But okay, you probably I know could, better. I maybe. could be wrong. I'm not Greg White over here, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what he was on, but yeah, he was riding that other bike. And and uh, I think he, he still wants to ride. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he just pressured himself or somebody pressured him. I don't think the team pressured him yeah. to let somebody else give it a go. I think they. I think what happens is you, is you get a bike that's has a proven track record, but then you take the rider equation out of it and the comfort and all that stuff. And I know that they didn't have a lot of time because they went to Daytona to test. So they only showed up once before they start going to the Nationals. The Nationals is a terrible part, place to start getting comfortable with a motorcycle. Right. I think, yeah, I think was, in the beginning of the season, the beginning of the year, he was like sick and stuff. I think he had the vid, missed all, missed most of the tests that the test that he could have attended with us. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, he was getting ready for Daytona too. And then afterwards, like, man, I wish I didn't do that. Right. So we invited him to every test, wanted to help him. And I think that just the timing didn't work out properly. Yeah. If he would have gone to all those tests and spent a bunch of time on the bike, got comfortable, got the ergonomics the way he wanted it. And then I think he could have been to the track and attacked straight away with whatever settings we gave him. Yeah. Instead of trying to learn it at the racetrack and trying to learn everything, electronics and this and that. It's a lot. It's a lot to ask. Yeah, Brian, uh, Brian Green comments that uh, Jake was wheeling out of turn 11 every lap. I guess he's a, yeah. he was up there and uh, he took a marshalling gig so he could watch the race from the best seat in the house, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, we got a pretty good, we, we actually got a pretty good run out of turn, turn 11. Yeah. But yeah, I think our, I think our bike, we could, uh, we're just trying to put the most power down we can. Yeah. And uh, even though it's wheeling, it's still going forward and you can see it in the, the acceleration of the bike right so uh on the data so we're constantly working on that it's something i think that uh again i think we missed a little bit on the rear chassis setup and that was causing that problem a little bit more than it should have so uh testa is asking like are you going to show up to laguna with some pre-made maps based on what you think the new surface will be like or run your base and adjust along the way yeah, that's a Marshall question, but we will probably, we will we will have a meeting on that and look at what happened at Road America and try to guess uh, to what the surface is going to be. We nobody knows. That's the problem. So it's probably a safer bet to show up with some options you can do on the fly on the on the switches, 
So we have a lot of capability on the switches of the bike, just on the on the, and then if you can get the rider to actually change them, you know, you you put it on there and you go, look, do go do five laps. If you got this, do that. And you got this, do that. So try to have a plan ready. So that way you go, okay, this is what we learned at Road America, and this is what potentially could happen. But this is our gearbox selection and our the the way we're going to go about it. But Dunlop has no clue how the wear tire wear is going to be. So we could show up and go, okay, you're going to be on R8s or you could be on R3s and everything's hunky-dory. I doubt it. More than likely, we're probably going to be on the hardest tires there are. Wow, okay. Because, like you said, if the track temp isn't up high, we know for a fact the R3 won't live. Right, right. So the R5 is kind of a bandage for the R3, you can say. Yeah. It's okay. But it still does the same stuff the R3 does. It still shreds in cold temperatures. So the only way to, and then when you go up to R7, you know, because uh, they don't have an R6 for whatever reason, they don't have an R1 for whatever reason either. It must be Yamaha thing. Hmm. So they don't have an R1, R6. They go straight from R5 to R7. The R7 was did this, all the same stuff at, at Road America as the R8 just didn't last. Okay. And the R8 offered decent grip. It just had really bad corner entry character. Wow. That you had to get your head around. That's where so the skidding the tires way. at Road America, right? Like that's. Yeah, it just it just it just backs in big momentum slide. Yeah. I got no grip, so uh, we'll have to we'll have to look at our chassis and see if we can do something to make that corner entry stuff better. We have some ideas. So Brandon Williamson says, is rider weight less significant on the super bikes compared to smaller bikes? Ask Batista. <laughs> Yeah, Scott Redding, right? Yeah, ask Scott Redding and Batista. Right. I mean, Batista's on the... It's not the same motorcycle, obviously. They develop right. every year, but... Dude, Batista's a little midget, and but he's riding like a big guy. So, yes, rider weight has a big, big influence on the way the bike works. And then uh, badass one... In, in, in good and bad ways, you know, like Top Rack can move his body around and get grip and traction and, you know, muscle the thing around. Right. He's right. a tall guy. Very skinny, tall guy, but super you know, skinny. Yeah, Batista's able to move his body around and do all the things the bike is capable of doing. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, that badass one, Jesus asks if Jake's having any arm pump issues since that surgery. No. I didn't think so. No, he's got a hell of a handshake too. Oh, None, does zero. he? <laughs> yeah. He's not a gummy fish. No. <laughs> none of none of these, you know, Starbucks handshake. <laughs> right, right. Starbucks handshake. That's yeah, uh, or a NorCal handshake. Yeah, whatever kind of handshake. <laughs> um, okay, so then uh, what's that guy? Same guy asks, uh, what's the ideal wide open throttle AFR for most power to keep the engine safe? <laughs> yeah, when you find that out with this fuel, let, let me know. know. Yeah. <laughs> It seems to change regularly. Um, well, this fuel said this fuel. Uh, it was fourteen, fourteen oh three, I think, on the on the stoic. So then you take a percentage of that. Your lambda ends up like eight nine nine zero. So you end up with like twelve six, twelve eight. But then you find out that the fuel is really fourteen oh eight. And so if you're running. 8.9 Lambda, you're like 13.2 or something like that, you know? So then you end up going, wow, this thing's way too lean. So you end up having to run a 8.5, 8.6, 8.7, you know, that Lambda. 
to get it down to the 12.5, 12.6 area. Wow, man. So it's, you really have to just put the thing on the dyno, do the best you can with it, and then throw a safety factor. Like, if you're running the thing at 12.8 for max power for that particular fuel, it depends on the fuel. Every fuel is a little different. That's why they have a, if you look at any fuel spec sheet, they all have a stoichiometric number, and that's what one lambda would be. That's when you're using up, uh, you have a complete burn of the of the of the fuel at 1.0 lambda. I think we talked about this where um, Formula One's running 1.4 lambda, so they're actually running it way 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 leaner and getting away with it. But they have special pistons, special injectors, special right. special everything. Right? We can't do that, so we have to run the thing burbling rich to be able to keep the things alive. So. Um, I would, if as as suggestion, if the bike makes best power, like a 13.0, I would probably drop it down a couple points, 12.8, you know, just to make it safe. All right. Same well, thing with timing. So, uh, so, any special plans for Laguna besides trying to win the fucking thing? I don't know that that Hawaiian joint there. I can't remember the name of it. It's pretty damn good. We always go there and eat. Dude, I was going to try to scumbag you guys into uh, the secret sushi spot on Thursday night. Yeah, yeah. that'd be good, too. Thursday night. Uh, yeah, Thursday night will work. Yeah. I think so. But that yeah. Hawaiian, we always go there. I can't remember the name of it, but we'll we'll turn this on to that. And it's pretty yeah. good. You got a good jerk chicken. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll have to do that. Yeah. We always it's end always up. Busy, we though. have like That's our fun. we have our traditional shit that we do in Monterey every year, right? Yeah, I think it was called Hula's, maybe. Something yeah, like that. Uh, that Hula's sounds right. That sounds yeah. right. I'm sure we'll back to Yeah, absolutely. It's a small place. Yeah. Well, this the secret sushi spot's actually in Salinas, like right across from the rodeo. Oh, really? Shit, I said it out loud. It's like no longer a secret. Not very secret. But yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a spot that I've been going to for like ten years, and man, it's it's. Is it great. as good as um, is it as good as uh, what do you call it, Huntington Beach? Sushi, Sushi on fire? fire? Probably not. Sushi on Fire is a lot higher level, but it's pretty good. Oh dude. man, good. see if it's not as good as Sushi on Fire, I'm just gonna be bummed out. You are such a snob, man. The f- yeah, but that place is really good. Dude, I mean, you know, once you fire that, is really like, good. You can't, you can't. Yeah, I mean, it's downhill from there. Well, in Southern California, there's only one place that even matches Sushi on Fire. Sometimes it's even better. It's in Old Town, San Diego. It's called um, Harney Sushi. Like Harney is still, I think, above Sushi on Fire, but not by much. But um, yeah. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, you're in Salinas, bro. Like, what do you? Yeah, expect, there's right? never any options for sushi there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, okay. Well, um, you know what? Thanks for your time, Richard. And, uh, yeah, you know, I wish you the best. Oh, shit. I'll see you next week, right? All right. I, actually, I, I may come down and pedal at the shop and bug you because uh, I'm off all the next week. I'm, you know, I'm off Friday. Got to get all that seat time in for that charity bicycle ride. So. And it looks like you're going to run to the crapper. <laughs> no, I'm, I'll, I'll read this on the way home while I'm driving. Oh. I don't mind. Well. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Right on. All right, man. All right, dude. Well, thank you. And everybody, thank you for watching the show. You know, share, comp, you know, like. All five of you. Subscribe. All, all, all. Dude, there was like 70-something for a while. Like, so, wow. Yeah, dude. So, I always, That's you know. Nice. It's weird. I most of the views I get, your all all of your videos, blow everybody's away. I don't really. Yeah, 
You're super popular. The rest of the guys are boring and they suck. <laughs> no, there was just one that was really boring. Well, kind of, Chiquetto was a little boring. Even Chiquetto, time. who's like normally a, you know, a bunch of laughs, he gets on your show and he sucks. Dude, that, well, What's up with that guy? I have high hopes for him. I think he's going to come back. I'll get him to come back. Well, you know, I'm friends with everyone and I wish I, they would all come. No, you just said you hate that dude to me. <laughs> And you hope he burns in hell. <laughs> and then you go, oh, he's my friend, and we're going to have dinner together. And I really like Chiquetto, but man, the last show that we did, it was like Yamaha was over his head with a gun to his head, like like he was a hostage. And I was like, come on, bro. Like, that's Zero not the way fun. this works. Zero fun. But yeah, like I, all, all, all of my guests, I, uh, the, except, except for you, because I don't have to tell you this, but like I have, I have some, what I call non-negotiables, and that's one of the things that's a non-negotiable, so. Like, yeah, you have to tell the truth and be fun. But, you know, he comes in our truck, and it's really easy to get sidetracked. He just starts telling all these stories, all these funny stories, all this stuff. He gets on your show, and he just says nothing for like an hour and a half. What is yeah. wrong with that dude? I, you know what, man? Like, it, maybe he was just. Maybe next time I'll have him hit, have a couple of bong rips or something before he joins the show. He looked like he had a couple of bong rips. He looked like he was about ready to go to sleep. Ah, maybe. <laughs> maybe he's he thinking about his pizza he's gonna have later on. Oh man, you know I'm gonna hear about this next week too. This is really. Oh, I don't care. I don't either. <laughs> All yeah. right, man. All right, dude. Safe trip home, and I'll see you okay. next time. Bye. Oh.